and welcome to this episode of Turkish TV Time. Today we're talking about The Protector Season 1, Episode 3. A lot happened this episode, so we're all really excited to talk about it. Today I am not drinking tea because I'm in an Airbnb and sue me, I didn't bring any tea bags with me. What are you guys drinking? (laughs) Go ahead, Izgi. Okay. (laughs) Oh, so Sophia is just gonna find find herself a cup of tea now. I think I don't have I don't have a full cup of tea with me right now. Just before we recorded, I this tends to happen. I have my 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 you know Turkish style black tea just before at the beginning of these sessions, but I finished it before this started, so I'm copping out today. Oh no, um, I'm just having some chai, but like. With not with like not with milk and stuff. So what is it? Just spices and hot water. (laughs) Yeah, like normal tea, (laughs) non British. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so one person uh, is staying true to the yeah. Thanks Sophia for carrying the team. All right, now All for right. change, Ezgi is going to take us through the episode yes. plot summary, and it's going to be glorious. Yeah, yeah. I was before we started. I was saying my uh, notes tend to not say too much about what's actually happening, and are more of a real time documentation of my thoughts, so and emotions. <laughs> so I'll try to do my best here, looking at my notes. We start the episode off with another flashback, or I don't know if it's a dream sequence or just a history. Well, actually, no, it's Kemal the dad telling. Hakan about the history of the immortals in Istanbul and their kind of reign of terror. So I believe it was the beginning of the 1500s was when the historical sequence was dated and people are littered around the streets dying of what looks to be the bubonic plague. And that plague was brought upon Istanbul by the immortals, according to this timeline and this universe. I did look up the history of the bubonic plague in Constantinople, and indeed, it uh, occurred in pretty frequent bouts. I mean, kind of like once every generation, every 20 years or so, from the 14 to 1600s. So good job, them, for researching that and, <laughs> and putting that in a reasonable timeline. And it's a bummer that the immortals did that, because I think it spread all over Europe from there. Then the episode quickly goes into a training montage with music that I know Sammy wanted desperately. It was a lot of uh, just kind of crouching and pushing one another playfully. And sexual tension for sure. A lot of that. Hell yeah. A lot of that. And her like see-through mesh shirt thing that she was wearing. (laughs) Yeah. Seems pretty useless, but I dug it. Yeah. I think, I think shirt thing is the, perfect term to discuss <laughs> yeah we can't we can't up, upgrade it fully to a shirt it's it's a uh, fabric <laughs> that's you know in progress to becoming a shirt maybe <laughs> but she took it off the loom and wore it so then we find out um i don't know if it was immediately after this because again my notes are a little bit of a tragedy but zainab is also sleeping with her boss her professor i mean she's also like oh. some kind of a teaching oh. associate i don't know if she like she directly reports to him or what the, what the so professional relationship the oh. subtitles that was not clear it was just yeah i was gonna say that she was having a casual relationship with a guy who had kids 
That's yes, the only thing we got from that. Yeah. Oh, ooh, okay. Yeah. They're, they work together for sure. He's at the university. I think like he's essentially her boss. Um, I'm not clear on if he's currently married or if the kids are just from, you know, a prior relationship that ended and he's not mm. being a shit bag, but he does kind of seem like a shit bag. So he seems he's like probably a definitely. Yeah. Cause yes. there's no other purpose for that character. I think rather yeah. than like complicate things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we go from one scene of sexual tension to um, kind of icky post-sex because <laughs> that guy's icky. And then uh, the episode moves on from there. So then we go over to our favorite cop, Taken, who, um, our favorite dirty cop, I should say. He, Wait, he's a cop? Yeah, he's a dirty yeah. cop. He's like on um, He's like a police captain or something. Yeah. Oh, I did not catch that. For me, the interesting part of the, that, his conversation with Mazhar, were they at the docks again? I can't remember yeah. where they were. For that yeah, they were. They were at the docks again. Uh, yeah, for the listener's reference, I watched this episode 24 hours ago, and I'm literally like, where were they? Who were they? <laughs> so uh, Taken couldn't find a record of Hakan and Nishit's, the, his, step, his adoptive father's file. So again, this kind of confirms our whole discussion last time that the adoption wasn't official the whole thing where Hakan was in an orphanage probably just never happened Nisha mm-hmm. just essentially took him in as soon as Murath was killed the last protector was killed and so far yeah they haven't been able to connect Hakan to Nishit and Nishit appears to be missing to them and uh I don't think Taken's gonna get paid by Masada at any time because he's probably gonna get killed before he gets paid at this rate. Yes. He's, not, he's not turning up much information that's of use. Next scene, Hakan is meditating with Kemad, Zainab's father, and they're sitting back to back on the carpet, and he's essentially trying to calm Hakan's always elevated nerves. And they're going through some Rumi quotes, and we're going to talk about Rumi, a little bit of esteemed religious figure poet from uh, the 13th century in the Middle East. And Hakan was able to quote a poem, or a, a, yeah, part of a poem by Rumi, which shocked me to no end. I forgot about that, even though this is my third time watching this show. I think, like had still a literary shocking. moment. Yeah, it's still shocking. And. I remember in the first, very first scene of the show where when Hakan wakes up, he has all those books strewn around and one of them is a volume of uh, some of Rumi's poems. So I guess he was reading that. It wasn't just randomly on his nightstand. So good job, Hakan. You're doing something right somewhere. <laughs> so far, we don't, we haven't seen much else. I also was entertained by the, the all the guns that Zainab had hidden behind her bookshelf uh, when they get ready to go after the ring. Dope yeah yeah so that was my very um out of order way of talking about the ring now the ring is one of the uh, the enchanted objects that helps in the quest to eliminate the immortals so this is the object that when the protector touches is wearing the ring and touches an immortal the stone is supposed to indicate that it's an immortal i guess by glowing or doing something so they're they're after the the ring and Kemad found out that an immortal, or not an immortal, sorry, a loyal one named Aisha has had it for many years. All the loyal ones, the high-ranking loyal ones, swore to split up the, the enchanted objects and go into hiding for the safety of each other and the protector. 
and Istanbul as a whole. So she was determined to be the one with the ring. And Kemai found an address that is literally out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what forest there is that they drove out to that's that dense with a creepy ass mansion in it. But that's where they that's where they so go with creepy. So creepy. They it's like a boarded up old wooden ramshackle house. They go out there with Zainep and every like they were pretty they were pretty good spirits up until that that scene like all those all the kind of good characters in the show and then as soon as they turn the corner and you get a good view of the house you're like oh shit this is going to be yep really messed up now and it was they go into the house looking for Aisha against every viewer's um advice i'm sure everyone was like don't go in there i was like don't go in there <laughs> They go in there by a stammering young man who says he's Aisha's son, and he has. Does he have a gun? He has a gun. Yeah, he has a big ass uh, gun. Yeah, he has has like a rifle. Was it? Was did they immediately get greeted with the rifle though, or did he have a smaller gun at first? Mm, He he was no. He was asleep in that couch. Ah, okay. With like a weird. Oh, okay, okay. A weird stain on his mouth, which grossed yeah, me out Yeah, he was gross. Very much. Ew, I agree. Uh, the yeah, mouth was... stain really got me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The mouth. We should have a deep dive on the mouth stain instead of... <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, it's so disgusting. They, uh, they, they do dupe him, and they, they ended up pointing a gun at him and getting him to take them up to where Aisha is and of course for a mother-son relationship it's kind of very Norman Batesy how uh, she's in a yeah. in a locked room by herself mm-hmm. so apparently for her own protection because seven years ago uh, people affiliated with the immortals attacked the house according to the son and this is the only way to keep her safe and she hasn't spoken since that day they find her she is looking all sorts of a mess in a bathtub my notes literally say mom is not looking good in that bathtub and i stand by that statement indeed she seems nonverbal, and she her hair her hair is all matted and she's got dirt all over her her face and neck and there are a lot of like crazy pictures and sketches on the walls i can only assume that she was locked in there and and did that over the course of seven years and then we find out very quickly from the son's behavior when he leaves the room that he is not good he might be a traitor bad Um, guy yeah we don't know yet like to what degree he's bad but he he homie's got a whole camera set up recording while they're talking and he calls someone and says yeah i'm recording the conversation in case they talk about where the ring is so the ring is not there apparently as far as we know so far and he is not loyal or he's not even her son which ends up being the case he's not her son (laughs) and uh she tells them that so she's not completely nonverbal. she was like she was just not talking to that guy <laughs> for seven years and she's got the ring in her mouth which is probably why she wasn't talking for seven years she was just holding that shit in there which is amazing did she eat i have a lot of questions <laughs> yeah same she clearly hasn't showered or brushed her hair in that time no yeah i mean she had like she had dreadlocks but for me they weren't problematic because it was literally just matted hair and she was in a bathtub for seven years so <laughs> what else was she supposed fault. to have it wasn't her fault yeah not like Mamo, who's even though he's dead you know those <laughs> dreadlocks were never okay guys <laughs> then the son who's not the son comes back aisha is a beast she's got like literally an elephant hunting rifle tucked away somewhere on her person or in her <laughs> cavernous bathtub somewhere and 
like I don't know he's got like the he's got the biggest bullet hole I've seen on any tv show on his chest pretty soon yeah <laughs> he's got super dead yeah he's yeah like literally blown to smithereens by this rifle <laughs> um but he had had t- an, an opportunity to alert his colleagues who we can only assume are just like they're probably not immortals they're probably just like mortal henchmen of the immortal all kind of come attack the house a few minutes after he places the call she fends them off for a bit by locking the her prison cell door behind her and standing in front of it with the giant gun we hear gunshots Hawkon and Zaynab jump out the window and get into their car for the first time in television history in an escape scene the people escaping think to shoot at the tires of the pursuer's car so they can't be pursued. Genius. I don't know why. It doesn't happen on more shows. <laughs> and they make their way. Also, Hawkon is a human bulletproof shield, which is awesome. He protects Zaynep while mm-hmm. they get shot at because he's got the enchanted shirt on. They make it into the car and drive away. And... We then, uh, I think even before this scene, this sequence, we, we stopped by Faisal's company. Mm-hmm. I think I skipped that sequence, but we can go, because uh, there's going to be a collision of worlds here pretty soon from what I just described. Faisal is still wanting to hire Hakan, insists that Leila follow up. Leila goes to Hakan's neighborhood. His uh, auntie, not his real aunt, but his auntie, Kalmaran, and her daughter pretend to not know who he is, but then they all like forces her way into their house and demands food and tea and uh, <laughs> gets information <laughs> out of them. Cursed Turkish hospitality, <laughs> defeated again yeah. um, because of it. <laughs> and yeah, so then she gets all the info, info about like, oh, he doesn't seem well. He's probably not going to come back to the neighborhood for some time, et cetera, et cetera. She's able to get in contact with him on the phone and he's like, no, 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 I'm not interested because, well, he doesn't say this, but he's like, I'm the protector now, motherfucker, but he doesn't say that. (laughs) But he's clearly got other things to do, but Leila insists that, yeah, he come and tell Faisal in person because she's going to be put in a very difficult position if she isn't able to hire him. And we also then see Faisal and Masar meeting at the docks. I don't I think, does Masar like go anywhere? Does he live at the docks? Possibly. Um, <laughs> like one of those containers. And he and Faisal are talking. Faisal is, he seems really calm. Like he doesn't, he does, either he's not aware of what all like kind of dark stuff his henchman is doing mm-hmm. or doesn't care. It's like beneath him. We're not really sure what his position is related to all those events. But a funny quote that stuck out to me was Faisal telling Masar, essentially, this is, my, this is my translation, I don't know what the subtitle said, but he said, calm down, Masar, life is short. Like, life is too short. To yeah, worry. yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, and then Masar yeah. has this, like, very knowing smirk, so it was one of those exchanges where, like, we were talking last time, we're suspicious of both of you, but which of you is, like, yeah. the immortal or whatever, like, which of you is the big yeah. bad kind of thing, because like from that like like him Faisal saying it suggests that he might be but then Masar's reaction was so like haha that's what you think mm-hmm. so it was but it was then it get, to... gets answered in the in the in the next scene or in the previous scene the if at when Hakan is at the um company right at the holding yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
so yes, so this is my the collision of worlds I was talking about. So Hakan does show up at Javidan Holding slash the Faisal, I guess is a hotel also. I don't know, all-purpose building. And Masad is there in the lobby as well. He gets a phone call and it's very clear that, now you guys have to rem- remind me what, hap- what he said exactly, but it's very clear that he got the call from the deceased, not sons. Yeah, basically, phone. I think we just learned that that lame-ass, very dead dude's name was John. And then he yeah. says John on the phone and we're right. like, whoa, yeah. Right, right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And in the car right over, Hakan had called from John's phone. I'd call oh, Masa, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah but we didn't, yeah, yeah. I mean, I recognized Masa's voice, but they didn't because I think they barely had any interactions with him at that point. Whereas I've had so many interactions with him now after watching <laughs> the show almost three times. Yeah, so Masa's not looking very good. He looks, uh, he's looking to be more and more like the big bad. And we found out earlier in the episode also from Aisha that the ring doesn't have a stone the stone is like the key element for the that thing to work and be useful and the stone turns out to be with sinan and so mm-hmm. zainab tells her dad that and kemai says i don't i don't know any or no so i think zainab actually says i don't know any of any named uh sinan and they need to they need to figure out who this person is and where the stone is why it was split up like that probably for mm-hmm. for everyone's safety and that's all i got now this was also semi-bantery because i'm a very again poor <laughs> note taker and i was frequently reaching in my memory and asking you guys for what happened so we can just slide right into the banter yeah <laughs> here definitely <laughs> the beginning of the episode i guess we finally got a tiny little training montage although it was mostly just like a steamy staring into each other's eyes montage mm-hmm. zainab did a really beautiful transition from standing to spider guard to take down hakan which was really nice i really appreciated it and that shirt was stupid what is the point of putting that shirt on and you're just got an extra piece of clothing to launder it's not doing anything <laughs> for you. <laughs> what is the point of it? I don't understand. <laughs> it worked with her, like, her overall look, right? She's got, this was when a lot of girls were shaving, like, the, their, Yeah, I love their, that. Or their head. If I had enough hair to do that, I would definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see it as much yeah. anymore. Also, I don't see people very much I would not. because it's quarantine, but I also, <laughs> I also feel like that. I would definitely not do that. Now. Well, but I could do it because I have a lot of hair. But You have a lot of hair. You could definitely do it. And I like that it's like the under that she did yeah. as opposed to like the half head you, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you put, it's cool that like you can, I mean, not that you would want to conceal it necessarily, but it's cool that you have the option, I would say. Like, to yeah, because it looks her, totally normal yeah. when her hair is down. Yeah. <laughs> And I think she's got um, a, a neck tattoo or like a tattoo right behind below her neck or somewhere. So when she when she's wearing that semi shirt and she's got her hair up, <laughs> you can see that tattoo. It's like mm, badass alert. 
She so definitely then, wants to be known as a badass for sure. Yes, for sure. Then she lies about having work to do and goes to sleep with this guy who we found out maybe a spoiler, maybe not from SQ that he's her professor. <laughs> I'm just full of maybe spoilers because I can't even remember what we watched. <laughs> so that's kind of sleazy. We feel that she should probably get out of that relationship. Yeah, yeah I feel like that, I mean, I just wrote like drama because like that's definitely just going to bring some drama like from who knows what but like if we need a subplot it's just going to be like her and her right. lover and whatever happens yeah oh I, I had I had a comment about why do the skills that Faisal observed in Hakan make him want to hire him <laughs> as, as part of the security <laughs> you know like Good he question. just saved a girl and that's it. Like, well, I don't that's see how my that's... question. Actually, Sophia, good point. Because I'm wondering, like, does is he suspicious of him? Did he see something where he was like, hmm, that's a little suspicious, mm. and that's why he wants to hire him? And he can't mm. tell. I feel like that. he thinks he's kind of dumb. Also, we know that Hakan has like zero fighting skills. Yeah, it's really yeah. unbelievable because he so likes it's like. He likes to call himself like you know a, a grand bazaar kid like that. You know that kind of implies that he's working class and tough and he's kind of seen it all but like like the violence of yeah. her facial expression so like i don't understand why <laughs> he goes around acting like a tough guy that yeah, is he so really true. lost it in the crazy lady's bathroom yeah, yes. <laughs> she was not doing good in that bathtub no Oof. oh that was also, scary speaking of the bathtub did she have that ring in her mouth for seven years? I, that's why. That's why I said my summary. So it must be true. I think that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> that's so gross. When did she get like all like oxidized and what did uh, she have done? <laughs> I mean, like. Oh my god! I don't know, but it, maybe that's why she was fucking crazy. She probably has like silver like, poisoning or some shit. I was gonna say like yes, whatever. Ew. What happened to Ew. the Romans? Lead in the pipes. Is that is that what happened? Well, maybe it's a fun conspiracy theory. Mm. But I feel like she can she could die now because she already did what she had to do. So I feel like like we're probably not ever going to see her again. I mean, I'm pretty sure she died. Yeah. There's a lot of gunfire. <laughs> I assumed that she. Died oh right, I forgot about that part. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> the gratuitous violence. Really, I don't think that she could <laughs> well, go back. Well, it was to less gratuitous. Yeah. It was less gratuitous than in, for example, the scene where they killed Nishet, which was just like the most. That was a lot me. of. That was ridiculous. But I think if you still add up the like service area of all those bullet holes on him, like it still wouldn't even be a fraction of <laughs> John's blood bullet hole. <laughs> oh my god, that he was like a donut. And, and somehow Zainab gets blood on her face. That yeah, she does. Me. Yeah. She needs Somehow, to get herself blood, I, I feel like blood was like all over that room, like the ho- whole house. But on house her face, was, like, though, like oh God, she wasn't was... crouching when he got shot or something. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> physics or anything, but like I think I would. I thought I thought I was about to get blood on my face. That was a lot of blood. I really yeah. like the teamwork that they showed after Zainab slapped Hakan in the yard, where he was like human shield, and then she shot people. I feel like that's like a pretty that was good dope. role suited to his skill level. 
absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> like you can protect me literally because of the magic fabric you're wearing you're yeah. useless but just yeah. be a meat wall thank meat you <laughs> wall. walking meat wall <laughs> so funny something we forgot to talk about is that kemal has the hospital footage i really liked his bribery tactic that was pretty great oh. That was oh, yeah. where that was going. I was like, what yeah. is he really writing a letter <laughs> yeah, to the same? Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. So he's going to find out that it was Mazar. Yeah. And at, that will correlate with what Hakan has heard. I feel like yep. they're going to they're gonna be separated, Kemal, Zeynep, and Hakan or something, because like, it wouldn't make sense so early on for them to catch on to uh, Mazar. Yeah, it's mm. pretty crazy that in the third episode they already know like who the bad guy is. Or maybe he's not the real bad, like he's just the smaller bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty sure that he was going to murder mm. Tekken, but mm. apparently not. Not yet. I thought he was going to murder him because also Tekken is like not, doesn't read the room. He doesn't get that he keeps asking for money <laughs> asking and for that's going to get him killed. Definitely not reading the <laughs> like, room he's definitely going to get killed for his for his like constant asking for money yeah. <laughs> uh, because Mazar clearly does not want to pay him like he's doing everything he can to say basically the work you're not you're doing is I not mean, enough unclear if Mazar can afford like an apartment like home like I said he I think he lives on the docks <laughs> just squats yeah, true. <laughs> he lives in a cargo container full of barrels and decapitated <laughs> bodies people he's killed oh no <laughs> I feel like it's, it's, one, it's do you guys watch dark. Big Mouth no. I don't. I don't. One, one of the characters lives in a in a container. It's terrible. <laughs> they get oh, like God. made up by by the queer eye guys. It's it's like a stupid thing, but I that's just what I thought. So maybe that's where this is going. That's what they're gonna do with the rest of the <laughs> yes. episodes of this season. We know who the bad guy is now. The queer eye guys are gonna. Visit. Oh my God! I would <laughs> love that so much. Me too. <laughs> so I had a question in terms of like the loyal ones because. They know each other's names, but they don't seem to know a lot of information about each other. So how do they keep in touch? Like, they, they can't keep in touch because then they'll get tracked. But how do they know who's who? And, like, like do they get new loyal ones? Or do they just, re- like, pass it down, same as the protector? Or, like, how does it work? I think it's, uh, I forget which season it is, second or third, where we learn more about them as a group of people like there is a whole history and kind of customs and rules there so it, your okay. question will be answered uh-huh. but not I don't, not this season okay. i don't think because we're pretty limited to just like this family right now yeah it does seem like maybe there were like better days before hakan's father was killed and maybe things yeah. were more chill back then and then since then mm-hmm. everyone's been really like on the down low yeah, right now yeah. I think I think the best guess you could make is that it's like kind of like cells. They have a small network of, you know, a few, like maybe like family units or if they all live near each other, something like that. And they, there isn't really like a handler going between all of them, so to speak, mm-hmm. to keep them connected. Yeah. So they struggle, yeah, to establish contact. They didn't know what they were gonna find when they went to Aisha's house, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, for, yeah seven, for seven years she's been imprisoned and no, and held hostage and no one knew about it so i don't know maybe at some point there were 
kind of go-betweens, but it's clear that when stuff got really bad, however many years before they, when Murat died, I guess, like y'all said, they cut off contact. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, because, like, I don't know, like, that's a really terrible situation for Aisha to be in for seven years. Yeah, I guess that's her, <laughs> that's her commitment when she became a loyal one, I guess, but yeah. still, it's it just seems horrible that she had to live through that. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I feel like, yikes. We dedicate this podcast to Aisha's. We dedicate this yes. podcast to Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Also, I I had a question because in the scene with Mazar and Leila and and Hakan, of course, like there's some evident tension between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also kind of a a questioning of like, what does Mazar actually do? Because Faisal even like directly (laughs) questions him and says like, what what are you doing? Like, what are you even doing with your time? What? aren't you being the head, like the head of security or something? And I thought that was bizarre. Like, like what's his actual job? Like we already discussed how ridiculous Leda's title is, <laughs> but I wonder if, if Mazar is equally ridiculous, just like head of shady business. That would be a more accurate title for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it just seems weird before we saw Faisal giving Mazar the talking to on the pier I would have mm-hmm. bought that what are you up to what are you doing I'm an honest businessman kind of deal but mm-hmm. he clearly mm-hmm. was like that was an epic like bad guy like you're failing me henchman mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. So I feel like that was just a performance for Layla and Hakan maybe I don't know yeah that I guess that makes sense although I didn't exactly get that impression but it's possible that I just like it's hard when you're when you're reading subtitles when you don't understand most of what's being being said. Sometimes you can't focus enough on the faces yeah. or on the tone of the voice. Yeah, that's true. So maybe I missed that because of that. Also, I had a question about the ring because, like, so you have to touch the immortals in order for the ring to shine. Yeah, but that that means you have to be really close to that immortal. Well, so um, like in the scene we were just talking about when they shake hands, I was like, oh, if only he'd had the ring, like we would know yeah. by now if that dude was the immortal. Yeah. You know? But won't the dude recognize the ring as well? I don't know. Mm. I assume. Yeah, probably. Right? I mean, he's been alive for a thousand plus he years. He definitely knows about the shirt. <laughs> he's encountered so. it. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that's why I'm like, I don't know. It seems like the ring is not the most effective, but of course we'll we'll see. And also, I guess it's also like the COVID paranoia setting in, but like touching <laughs> everyone you see oh, with the ring yeah. just to see if they're oh, also, Eski, in the I guess I haven't been paying attention, but do they are they referring to the immortal as all or as like is it definitely a man? Well, you know, the, the, yeah, there is no there's no um for our listeners, there are no gender pronouns in Turkish. There's only o, which is also it, he, she, all, so all of it. Um, so, yeah, we have no idea what the gender is of okay. the immortal. So I don't know what the subtitles are doing. But The subtitles say he, so I think that's important uh, to point out. It could be anyone. Yeah, a, 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 a purely Turkish viewer with no kind of foreign language subtitles on would not 
even have a clue. Okay. I mean, one would probably, one generally, unfortunately, assumes that it's a male just because of yeah. patriarchy. But yeah, we wouldn't linguistically know that. Okay, gotcha. And then we have to talk about how rude Layla is. Oh my God. What is she doing forcing her way into these people's houses, forcing herself upon their hospitality, yeah. making them feed and walk, give her tea? Like, this is also, literally, she said, I have only 30 minutes before I have to go to Faisal's like, clinic at Fikir Sefe, blah, 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 some bullshit. And then she's like, mm, I smell some bodek mm, and some tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, also doing all of this in like six inch heels or i don't know inches but like really high heels that like nobody could walk down those cobblestones in those heels no oh my god she'd die and then she puts her foot in the door like that must have hurt a lot if she if she wore six inch heels on cobblestones and she should have died but she didn't does this mean she's oh my god Oh my god. Yeah, that was unbelievable. She's so bleh, I don't like her. I don't <laughs> so. like her at all. Although she looked really good walking down the street. Gotta say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think and that's, I loved that's the her face, whole image. The Looking face good. on the Sorry. daughter of the neighbor when she was like <laughs> go get her the bed and the daughter was like, fuck you people. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, but in, in the subtitles it said, go do the dishes or go get the oh, dishes. Oh, yeah, go do the dishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor girl. <laughs> that girl, like, her facial expressions are just gold. They're really yeah. good. She should have been the main female lead, not. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, if Layla is, like, so put together that she'll never make a weird face, only her, like, maybe I smell something gross face, but I'm mostly neutral the whole time face. Um, this girl is the awesome. total opposite. <laughs> yes, we we co-dedicate this episode to the entrepreneur. <laughs> I think her name is Neighbor's daughter. daughter. Yeah. <laughs> so today in our history section, we're going to talk about Rumi, who is the um, person that Hakan and Kemal were quoting while they were meditating. So Rumi, who's known mostly as Mevlana in Turkish, was a 13th century Persian poet, scholar, theologian, and mystic who came from greater Iran. And he is incredibly popular today all over the Middle East. Um, Europe and the United States. He is known as the best-selling poet in the United States. Rumi's works are written mostly in Persian, but also, he also used Turkish, Arabic, and Greek. He ended up settling in Konya in Turkey and founding his, his religious school there. So we all went there together and visited his tomb there. It was really interesting. He also, if you've been to Turkey, you've probably seen the whirling dervishes. That's part of his tradition for meditation while um, spinning. And we went to one of those performances as well, which was really beautiful, but also really hard to stay awake, <laughs> to be honest. It was really dark. There was soothing music. 
Can we just pause for a second and recall the meal? Like of all of the big meals, the most iconic <laughs> big meal we had yes. in Turkey was in Aydın in Western Turkey, not near Konya whatsoever. So this is completely unrelated to what Sammy was just saying, but I just have to connect. We were in Aydın, which is near the um, Aegean Sea on the west coast of Turkey. We were at this lovely woman's like farm slash farm to table restaurant. And she oh. brought out literally 15 courses. I don't know how many courses we ate. Oh my God, it was I think I was terrible. By the time we got to dessert, <laughs> Sophia was in tears and she was like, please, no more. <laughs> you literally started crying when they brought dessert. <laughs> <laughs> and for, like, for oh. reference, I love dessert. That was also the day of the horrible olive oil museum. Which I'm still <laughs> traumatized by. <laughs> okay, well, we, we're, we, we clearly have a lot to unpack there, but uh, go back to your summary, please. You've probably heard some of his quotations in English or other languages. He's super famous. He wrote a lot about love, but also about Islam. And um, a lot of his quotes, like, you know, on Pinterest and stuff in English are really divorced from religion, but it's important to remember yeah. that he was a very religious man and that was an important part of his philosophy and teaching. Yeah, and it's oh. it's very tied to to Sufis to Sufism, his right. his uh writing, which is kind of if I were gonna say kind of colloquially, it's kind of a a, a very spiritual branch of Islam, which focuses a lot on meditation and, and the whirling dervishes, which is kind of well, I'm not sure, Ezgi, you would have to correct me, but I think actually that's that name is kind of Orientalist in some way. Um, oh, I don't know. It might be. I'll look it up. It seems like it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to guess. But the, like in, they're called the Semazens, and, and basically yeah. what, what the state is, is it's really interesting because when they're, when they're turning around, what they're doing is kind of reaching their inner self and their you know, getting closer to God and to their own spirit. It's kind of like a little bit about what mindfulness and meditation, but like obviously in a very different context, but it's kind of one of those types of rituals. And, and as, as Sammy said, it's, it's deeply religious and it's about connecting much deeper with, with yourself and kind of starting to understand yourself in the context of your religion and in the context of your life. So it's a very spiritual um, kind of branch and it's, it's extremely philosophical even though I would argue that the Quran itself is also extremely philosophical, but Sufism is, is, is a really interesting, you know, area of thought and of practice. And, and Rumi is definitely very, very closely tied to, to all of that. Well said. <laughs> well, and also it's interesting because the name Rumi, basically like whenever you hear room in Turkish, it means someone from, from like the Roman territories, which yep. in a lot of cases was actually Turkey for other, like for other cultures around. So Rumi actually just means someone from the Roman territories or, or in some cases the Anatolian Peninsula, it depends on the time period. Um, yep. But that just refers to where he ended up settling down. But the, the other interesting thing about Islamic culture during this time period is that if you look at Islamic culture, there's like three main branches if you want to say it in parentheses and and there's the the persian branch the turkish branch and then the arab branch but for a long time especially for the early years of of the islamic uh world there there was a big 
prevalence of the Persian culture in, in, for example, the script and the language that was spoken throughout the empire and especially in like amongst people that were in the elites and in academia at that time. So, so that's part of why, you know, this Rumi was a Persian poet and he wrote in Persian, even though he well, was from Iran, but moved eventually to Turkey. And, and for many years, Persian continued to be that, that dominant language of, of culture in the Islamic world. And it was only till much later in the Ottoman Empire when Turkish took a little bit of, a, of that role. But if you look at a lot of the languages in the region, they still have a lot of elements taken from, from Persian um, or Farsi and, um, well, even from, Ar- like from Arabic. In, in Turkish, you can find words. And of course, Ezgi <laughs> knows much more than I do about the subject. But it's just a little bit of, of background on, on this whole cultural development in, in the Middle East and, and in Islamic civilization, if you were going to say it a certain way. Yeah, it's amazing to look, look at um, just, just Rumi's life in general and, under, and see how fluid borders and what we would now consider national identities are. I mean, it really didn't mm-hmm. exist then. Um, he was a traveler. He was always looking for love, some spiritual love, love of Allah, love of fellow man and he was yeah just just traveling around the region and got really far i mean from they think he was born in modern day tajikistan which is very far to the east and he made his way to central turkey so that's a huge distance covered over the course of i don't know how old he was when he passed away but i assume no one really lived that long in those (laughs) days so yeah it's really it's really interesting and I didn't know he was still considered a best-selling poet in the U.S. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like a lot of people might be familiar with the fact that Beyonce named one of her of her children after him. Um, one of her kids' names is, is Rumi. The other one's named Sir. Well, and of course, Blue Ivy, but she's the oldest kid. So I, I think <laughs> he's definitely had a resurgence nowadays, and, and I... I, I see his quotes a lot on those kind of like Pinterest boards and, you know, those little like images of quotes that people send around online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's worth reading him basically is my <laughs> addition to all of this. Yeah. I think the, uh, I'm going to say the Turkish pronunciation Mesnevi is his, his main work. It's actually a single poem as isn't that always the case with these, like, I feel like everything is a single poem, even if it's like a thousand pages, like, <laughs> like Paradise Lost and, and all that kind that of That makes stuff. it an epic poem. Right. So yeah. this is like that, but it's mystical. It's one poem. It's 27,000 lines. And it's, it is six volumes. Wikipedia is telling oh, me now. Oh, crap. Holy <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's a uh, very long and very important. He also was BFFs with a gentleman named um, Shams of Tabriz, who's also a mystic and a religious scholar. I mean, they really, they truly loved each other. Um, And it's a very interesting relationship that they had because they were completely devoted to one another. Biggest, each other's biggest fans referred to each other in their works. And I think uh, Shams preceded Rumi in death and Rumi was a shell of himself that yeah so and it's uh, you know we have no idea what the full nature of the relationship was but Orhan Pamuk in one of his novels the black book 
explores the relationship through mod two modern day characters. One named Jalal and Nevlana's given name, Rumi's given name is Jalal, Jalal Eddin. So there's this interesting, in the story, there's the implication that theirs was a love story back in the 13th century. Mm -hmm. And then these guys are not, these two men are like, well, one of them, Jedi is obsessed with the other, uh, Gaidip, and becomes him eventually toward the end of the book. And it's very strange, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's all a reference to um, Rumi. So if you're interested in modern Turkish literature, Rumi and, and, Sh and Shams make their way into, into uh, you know, one of the works of one of Turkey's most famous current writers. So I always, for, for me, like about Rumi, that, that friendship was always super interesting. Uh, I, I, I heard about it when I was reading that book by Orhan Pamuk. And, you know, who knows? Who knows what kind of relationship that was? Um, they were, it's amazing that they inspired each other so much and left so much work, you know, as a result of that relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. So now we're going to move on to our almost as erudite portion, which is called What the Fuck Hakan. <laughs> and also we're going to, at Sophia's request, start including Zainab in this. So Sophia, take it away. <laughs> For me, the, the, I mean, the what the fuck moment was obviously her sleeping with this man who might be her boss. I just thought that was confusing. Um, it also seems that she's very happy to humiliate Hakan in a certain way, but not enough that he feels like demasculinized, or if that's a thing. But like, I mean, emasculated is the word that I wanted to use, sorry. But enough that she feels like she has control over him. And I think that's part of what attracts him, attracts her to him. But I guess my what the fuck, also the what the fuck moment is when when this woman Aisha takes the ring out of her mouth that freaked me out that was super mm -hmm. gross. for sure mm -hmm. and the smudge on uh John's Ugh. face when he was sleeping that was oh my gross. god <laughs> that was so disgusting <laughs> this podcast is not dedicated to the smudge on John's face <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I can't. I can't think about that. That's so disgusting. Like, was he throwing up? Why does he have that yellow mark on his face? It sounds to me like you want to think about it. Do you want to talk about it some more? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I guess, okay, so if, it, if there were a what the fuck Hakan moment, I guess, it's when he's like telling Layla, like, no, 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 I don't want to work with you guys. And then suddenly, very obviously, he's like, oh, no, wait. I recognize this man's voice. Now I do want to work for you. Yeah, that was not subtle, but hopefully no one else picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> so my what the fuck Hakan moment was when he has he takes John's phone from Zainab and he calls the last call number and she's oh like, what God. the fuck are you doing? You think you're going to get his name? And he was like, well, maybe if I asked him, he'd tell me. Yeah. That was pretty dumb. That was really dumb. I, that was mine too. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, take up airtime with that, but it was really unbelievable. <laughs> for <even> for <laughs> and our crying count today is zero, which is really sad. 
Well, the last episode, yeah, had enough for a season. Yeah, he lost a lot of fluids. He needs to rehydrate before the next session. (laughs) Someone Um, get the man some Gatorade. (laughs) The look on his face when John was made into a bloody donut was pretty close (laughs) to crying. There was just not time for the tears before. (laughs) I was was having trouble uh, seeing anyone or anything after I saw that. I was like, my my eyes for a few seconds. But that also was not realistic. Like, I feel like it would have been much more gruesome if they shot him like that. That close by. Yo, you I wanted didn't it to be more gruesome? Yeah, that was like, no. I did not want it to be more gruesome. I'm just saying it wasn't realistic. <laughs> okay, like, we're not going to look into why you, why you have that, this knowledge, Sophia. <laughs> there would be no torso. I, I don't have this knowledge. I'm just assuming. <laughs> but I, I think there would be no nothing left. Just a bloody oh, mess. Oh, God. <laughs> well, you know, that kind of wraps like... up another successful episode of the podcast. <laughs> we'll be back next time with season one, episode four, and um, we hope that no one else gets turned into a bloody torso of donut. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>